This is the TSG Multimedia Podcast for March of 2023. We're sponsored this month by the TSG Train Crew on Patreon. Thank you very much. Welcome back to the next episode of the longest-running train-related podcast in the history of the universe. Going strong since January of 2010. I'm your host, John, and this month we have a little ground to make up for because last month's program was intentionally shorter than usual due to the Bay Area Layout Design and Operations Weekend that was being streamed on the same day. So let's rewind back to January for just a minute. Oh, hello, everybody. I'm doing something today. Remember on the last uh, podcast, I mentioned that I wanted to thank Seth Newman for letting me use his layout for stuff. And uh, today's one of those days. I'm not using his layout, but I'm going to pick his brain because I got this from Atlas to do a product spotlight on. And I want to do a product spotlight on it, but I don't know how to light these things up. But I know he does. So I asked him sometime in the last week if I could bring it over and maybe he'd help me light it up so that I can show you what the signals look like on here instead of just showing you what it looks like and then going, okay, that's it. And of course he agreed to help as usual. Uh, This is one of those instances that I was talking about. So uh, we're going to do that this morning uh, after Seth gets off the phone. And if this uh, product spotlight for this uh, HO scale signal hasn't come out yet on the channel, it will soon. Uh, If it has come out, you can probably find it just by searching in the Product Spotlight playlist, and you'll be able to see what we did here today. So, here we go. Thanks again, Seth, for always helping out. I'm sitting here in Seth's office, and look what I noticed. He's using his TSG train crew mug. I wonder what he has in it. What kind of alcohol? What kind of alcohol do you have in your TSG mug, Seth? I mean, it is in the morning. It's scotch. Okay. So we're in the process now of figuring out how to light this thing up. So that's the whole idea here. And uh, boy, that's a really nice signal tower, isn't it? It's very detailed. And Seth pulled this out and he says, look what I have. This is something that I guess he sells on his uh, model railroad control systems website. These are little circuit board three light LED signals that aren't detailed, but made for someone who wants to have signaling, but doesn't want to spend a lot of money, or maybe they're just in the process of early development on their layout, that kind of thing. And you don't want to spend 30 or 40 bucks a piece for something like this, right? Because, you know, if you haven't done your scenery or anything, uh, you work your scenery around this thing and next thing you know, you've got it damaged and you got to spend another 30 or 50 bucks or whatever to get one of these. Well, if you have these, these are only like a buck and a quarter a piece or two bucks or something. That's, that's great. I think I've seen something like this before at Silicon Valley lines, but never asked them where they got it. But isn't that cool? There's like 12 up on this circuit board and it looks like they just cut off or snap off. And all your contacts are on, on here. That's really cool. And it doesn't just come in one size. He actually has dwarfs and middle-of-the-road height signals as well. That's really cool. I kind of forget sometimes, Seth, that you're the signal guy. Like, you, 
<laughs> compared to me, you know everything about signals that there is to know. So, well, like, like anything else, there's a signaling community, and there is a. There used to be a signal special interest group. It, 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 was it called SigSig? It was called SigSig, <laughs> and unfortunately, the I think John Farrell was his name. Yeah. Uh, you know, it just was too much trouble for him. But they still have a list, and it's a groups IO list. You can find it by searching around, and there are you know a lot of people who were. Signal engineers, signal maintainers, uh -huh. people who are professionals on there. So there's some great resources available, like everything else in the hobby. Um, and uh, uh, I, I'm a practitioner. I wouldn't say I'm I'm the font of knowledge because these are guys who really did this professionally right. for years. And you'll notice I said compared to me. So really, almost anybody. <laughs> So we set the bar real low. We did, yeah. <laughs> I intentionally set the bar low to make you look good. <laughs> but, you know, it's the great thing about the hobby, right? There's yeah. always something to learn, and there's always somebody interesting who lived it and has, uh, you know, wonderful insights into it and great war stories that are lots of fun. I find it really fascinating to learn about new ways that I never thought of before that people can enjoy the hobby. And one of those ways, which, you know, you kind of think it makes sense if you think about it for a minute, is to be a signal foamer. As I'm going to call it that, right? Someone who's really into signals. Ooh, and those yeah, yeah. people are out there, here, right? Um, exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we should have put a bib on because now you're drooling all over your now, shirt. Now, if you really want signal foamers, we'd be doing, you know, Pensy uh, position lights. Right, those are those... Yeah. Radial things, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, I've seen those, and they're yeah. crazy. Yeah, and then the so. B&O ones are even crazier because they are colored and uh, singular. But, the you know, the whole point of that was to be essentially a semaphore blade, uh -huh. right? Because the angle the lights make as they're lit up oh, that makes sense. corresponds to a semaphore blade. Right, so... I mean, why not just have a semaphore then, right? I mean, well, that's because that's a semaphore had lots of moving parts, and the idea here oh, was to I see. just have lights which were... You know, you had to replace them periodically, but generally they were seen as less prone to fouling in icy weather than, say, right. a semaphore. That makes a lot of sense, actually, because I could see a semaphore getting stuck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there were some horrible accidents in the early days with that. So, yeah. um, as soon as, you know, incandescent lights became practical, you started seeing these color lights and color position lights sure. and stuff like that. What, what were your, since I don't editorialize on the product spotlights, what were your thoughts on this Atlas well, signal? This is a really nice signal. Um, and, you know, it, it, obviously it's a little spendy like a really nice signal, but uh, this one looks like the modern safe trans version of what uh, most of us would call it. Type D, which was a general railway signal designation for the traffic light style signal. It's oh, okay. like a traffic light, but it's upside down. Right. And the reason is you want it red on the bottom, because if snow were to pile up on green on the bottom, it might obscure the yellow or red, which is more restrictive. So the idea is that nothing could have snow piling up on it and blocking the red. So that's the reason they're upside down. Uh -huh. Now then... Rio Grande, uh, you know, being in the Rockies and dealing with extremely severe weather had two issues. One was even more ice and snow and sleet than the Northeastern guys did. So the hood served to keep it off the lights and you didn't mm -hmm. have to put any little eyelids over the 
the lenses themselves, so nothing for snow to pile up on. And the second thing was when the weather was good, of course, it being up at 8, 10, 12,000 foot elevation on, say, the uh, Tennessee Pass line, there was really intense light and a lot of glare. And by not only using a dark background, but putting it under the little hood, giving us the Darth Vader or Flying Nun cowl, um, you've heard those terms from rail fans, uh, there would be much better contrast. Mm -hmm. So this is a nice representation of that. The ladder style and platform uh, are fairly modern. The little pull box is fairly modern. What I like about it is the detail is quite nice, but it's it stood up to you know a fair amount of uh, handling just in us putting it together. So I mean, clearly, clearly you would want to put it behind a plexiglass shield, um, you know, yeah. for out near the aisle. But it's it's a reasonably robust signal, and they've done a nice thing. They've got this little uh, fifty thousandths connector, which uh, I didn't have one of handy, which was most of our setup time was trying to find a workaround for that. Mm -hmm. And they plug into Atlas's signal board, which give you a a nice uh, automatic block signal type function. There's other ways to do it, but that's a perfectly good one. And uh, you know, if you want something, you can just go down to the hobby store and buy out of a box. It's it's a nice solution. Mm -hmm. I mean, I have some alternate solutions in my product line, but uh, nothing wrong with this. Well, that, that's something that I don't think we really highlight. And I think it probably is more due to you because you don't self-promote. I'm also terrible with self-promotion, but I don't know that a lot of people who have seen you on this channel anyway know that you have model railroad control systems where you sell stuff like this. I came on the podcast here a few minutes ago showing people those little circuit board signals that you showed me Yes, as an alternative, you know, if so, for someone who just wants signaling now and doesn't right. want to worry about spending 50 bucks per signal while they're still scenicking. Yeah, exactly, and, because this would not survive long in that environment. People signal for a number of reasons. One, you know, I, I think number one is just they're really cool. Yeah, it looks cool <laughs> on the layout, right? Christmas lights. Yeah. yeah. Secondly, you know, on an operational layout, uh, particularly if you're using centralized traffic control, which is having a dispatcher at a centralized console turning lights on and off and routing trains around. Uh, I mean, this is the way mainline railroads worked from... Um, you know, at least World War II onward. And there's some interesting history about that also. But, uh, uh, so you would, you might be using it for uh, more or less prototypical, uh, operations. But another reason that people use it is many people, prototypers and freelancers alike are really modeling specific scenes, iconic scenes. And, Many railroads are a bunch of design elements that are strung together, and the design elements are not chosen so much because they're fun to switch or this was a cool operation. It's just, this is where the iconic pictures of my railroad are. And, uh, for example, late Otis McGee had a signal in Dunsmuir, which was the main yard on his layout. And why was that signal there? Because it's there in all the photos. Right. And the photos don't look right if that signal which was on a cantilever bridge isn't there. Now, actually on that railroad, it was absolutely useless because of some other compromises he had to make to fit a, a three-mile-long yard into 
20 feet of, of, of scenic railroad. Mm. So as a dispatcher, I would always put that, the switch that protected and that signal into local control and let uh, the yard crew have at it. Having something recognizable, like iconic that way, really adds or embellishes the buy-in, right, by a visitor who sees it and is like, okay, like on your layout, these are all, you know, searchlights. Well, I know what a searchlight is. You know it by whatever it's really called, the USNSH or whatever you call, told me earlier. I forgot already. Well, searchlight, everybody understands. <laughs> right? I guess they do. But my point is, you come here, you look at that, and you're like, oh, this really does look like what you're modeling because that's what was there. And I know that was there because I saw it with my own eyes. Oh, and I have and, uh, photos of Hearst. Sure. Sighting yeah. scene. And they're... They're taken from the from the prototype, including right. some wrinkles. So that's interesting because WP did a couple of things that were odd. They got some exceptions to the rules to do it for very model railroader-like reasons. Um, there wasn't enough room to expand the right-of-way, which was not originally designed for signals. So you couldn't place the signals between the tracks where they belong. You had to put them on the outside. And, and this is very common today, but when WP put them in in 1956, um, this was a little bit of a deal and you had to go get an exception. Um, so, you know, these kinds of things really set the scene, set the, uh, um, you know, the uniqueness uh, of your iconic photo. And um, I, I think where we were going with that earlier was that, well, now I'd like to have the right signal in the right place. Uh -huh. And if I'm going to spend 25 or $30 for a more generic signal, I really don't mind spending 40 for the right the signal. correct one, yeah. And and I had to do that. I got some BLMA heads, which were since purchased by Atlas, haven't been available as separate parts for a while, and had somebody make the appropriate union switch and signal bases and connecting hardware. So because it, you know, was important to me, I knew what I was looking at. And there are now, you know, some less expensive alternatives that are intermediate between the inexpensive PC board signal and and the model. But, I mean, the point is, if these guys are on your railroad, this is a nice signal. And you probably want to go buy that. Yeah. I mentioned to everybody that you always help me with my projects. And I thanked you on the podcast. And I'm going to thank you here now in person for always taking time to help because i really do appreciate oh, it oh it's, it's a pleasure and they're they're always great questions and interesting things um gives us a good chance to a good excuse to hang out too absolutely i want to take just a minute to talk about the product spotlight and n scale friday programs there have been some comments lately asking why i don't point things out like missing light packages on Southern Pacific locomotives. The real question to me is, why would I? I intentionally do not editorialize a whole lot during these programs because they're not critical reviews. They're not intended to be critical reviews, and I'm not going to proclaim myself as an expert so I can justify being critical of a manufacturer that spent untold thousands of dollars to bring a product to the marketplace. My attitude is that if you, as the viewer, don't like what you see, you can choose not to buy it. Or 
If you like it, but realize it needs work, now you know what you'll be up against. Crying about something because I expected it to be perfect is pointless. The programs are lit and filmed in a way that lets the viewers decide for themselves. It would be an insult to your intelligence for me to tell you whether or not you should like something, just because I wanted to nitpick it. I trust you to make that decision. That's not to say that I don't have an opinion, but it is to say that I respect you enough to have your own standards and make your own decisions. Okay, now that I have that off my chest, let's move on to last month's events. All right, we're doing something today. We're headed to a place called Richmond, California, not Virginia. Richmond is basically about, I don't know, 60 or so miles away, but it takes an hour and a half to get there because there are wonderful Bay Area traffic. But what's happening in Richmond is this weekend, the Bay Area Layout Design and Operations Weekend, that's what we call it, happens every year. You can find a video about it on this page. You can find a few videos about it on this channel just by searching for SIGMEAT, S-I-G, MEAT. And basically what we're doing is we volunteered to help run the virtual side of a hybrid event, which will involve a Zoom call for active participants. And we're also streaming this live to the channel. If you're a regular viewer of the channel, you probably watched it about a month ago. It's a very fun event. And what's best about it really are the people. So, you know, it's an excuse to hang out with your friends, as they say. So we're gonna go have some fun. You can see we have the chairs set up. There's a whole big cameras and lots of stuff going on here. And if you look behind me, you can see there's the projector. So we're pretty much set up. And the next thing on our agenda for today is to go to the Richmond Pacific. It's a, what we refer to as a field trip to a prototype that uh, people who attend this event are invited to. So we'll have some of that here sometime in the very near future.
Hi, we have arrived at the Golden State Model Railroad Museum for the Bay Area Layout Design and Operations Weekend Clinic Day. And uh, this is a Saturday morning. It's pretty early still. And this is a cool place. There's right next to a park that's along San Francisco Bay here. And not as cold as I expected it to be, but here we go. We're going to go do a live virtual event today and i don't know how much i'll be able to come on here and talk about it but i will say that it also streamed if you missed it last month it streamed on saturday the 4th so if you have any interest in that you should go check it out on the channel it affects very much how it operates and yards at junctions in and out in several different directions that are norfolk and western civil and here it is in block, or Birmingham, or Milpitas. Hi, so we're about halfway through the uh, event here today. Uh, it's going really well. There's a little bit of a snafu on the last segment that we had, but we worked it out through improvisation. But this is a really good event. All of the clinics so far have been very interesting. We've had three clinics. And uh, boy, I, mean, I learned a lot, even though I knew some of what they were talking about already. Uh, anyway, we'll uh, keep going and see how it goes. All right, so we just finished up here, put everything away, loaded out. There's a bunch of wind, it's getting a little stormy, but that's a wrap from the Golden State Model Railroad Museum and the uh, Bay Area Layout Design and Operations Weekend Clinic Day. We'll see you soon. Hi, so we're back home now and I was just loading out my gear here now that we're done with that show. But I wanted to mention something about that event that we were just at. You'll notice that we were there on Friday and did the field trip and we were there all day today and got to see some really excellent clinics this year. But that's not the end of the event. It is for us because we just came home and decided to not partake in the rest of it. But the rest of it is open houses tonight. So there are probably, you know, 10 layouts open in the area. And then tomorrow, they're doing operating sessions. And these are the operating sessions that we've talked about on the channel in the past that are designed or run especially for new people or beginners. They're not advanced operating sessions for, for advanced operators. So that's going to happen all day tomorrow. I just wanted to mention that because having been there just yesterday and today, that's only two thirds of the event. There's a lot more that's going to happen and it's a lot more bang for your buck if you come to attend it. So a uh, great event and I'm looking forward to the one next year. On February 15th, we went live with our monthly Talking Trains show. We talked with Sparky107107 and John Gardberg all about train shows in general, and more specifically about the Rocky Mountain Train Show that's coming up on April 1st and 2nd of this year. It's particularly relevant because Sydney and I will be traveling to Colorado to provide live coverage of that train show when it happens. We haven't covered a train show live on this channel before. There's a lot of really cool stuff in the works, and if you missed this Talking Trains show, it's definitely worth catching on the replay. Hi, we're here at the South Bay Historical Railroad Society today in Santa Clara. And 
we came here because I wanted to get some video footage of a train model project that I'm working on. It's the final episode of the long distance Amtrak train build. I, at least I think it's the final episode. I originally thought I was going to do three, but I think I'm going to end up with four this time. And this is the test running of the long distance Amtrak train in N scale that I just finished this week. So we're going to do that today, see some friends. It's a great excuse to hang out with other friends that we haven't seen in a while. And so let's go have some fun. So we're just about finished here at the SBHRS and I'm really happy that the models I brought here worked exactly the way I wanted them to. The cars were lit up, the marker lights looked good and I'm really now looking forward to finishing editing the video that I'm working on or videos that I'm working on about lighting up the passenger consist. So it was a great excursion out here to the South Bay Historical Railroad Society in Santa Clara. I did something train related today. I came to the train shop in Santa Clara and bought some lubricants because I needed some and found that what I have is sorely lacking for what I needed it to do. And so instead of just buying the stuff online, I came down here to support the local hobby shop. On the 25th, the most recent episode of TSG Live Model Railroading streamed out to the world live. For this show, I invited Phil Edholm to come talk about a couple very interesting approaches he's used when building super detailed structures. Phil had some special considerations to take into account because his models are part of a traveling modular setup, which means they have to stand up to being moved around. Anyone who's done modules as part of a larger setup knows how challenging that can be. Phil employed some very clever techniques that can also be used for structures on regular non-moving layouts as well, and that show provided a ton of great ideas and inspiration. A definite must-watch on the replay if you missed us live. I have a personal catch of the month this time, and you've been seeing it in the background when I came on to talk. It's Richmond Pacific GP15-1 number 424. This is an ex-Conrail locomotive, and it now serves on the Richmond Pacific. If you have a catch of the month you'd like to share, please send it to podcast at tsgmultimedia.com. Be sure you own the shot and include the what's, when's, and where's of the shots you send in. I want to mention that the annual Reedley Railfest event is happening at Hillcrest Tree Farm in Reedley, California on the weekend of March 18th and 19th. Also, the South Bay Historical Railroad Society's Spring Open House event happens on April 1st and 2nd. This is the first time we'll be missing the open house in a while because of our trip out to Colorado to cover the Rocky Mountain train show happening that same weekend. All of these events are well worth the effort to attend. If you happen to see us out and about, say hello, but don't forget to introduce yourself so we know who we're talking to. This month's program schedule consists of a bunch more daily train catches, product spotlights, N-Scale Friday, and of course, talking trains on the 15th. The featured programs for Saturdays are still being determined, but right now, I'm expecting to bring you the conclusion of the long-distance Amtrak train build, 
so be on the lookout for that. Something else about the program schedule, at this time next month, we'll be at the Rocky Mountain Train Show. Since our intention is to be live on both days, the podcast for next month will either come a day early or be abbreviated, or both, just like last month when we had the SIG meet on the first Saturday of the month. I've been updating the TSG train crew, that's our supporters on Patreon, about all these things and more. The train crew gets a lot of behind-the-scenes info about other things happening around here. Special deals on the models, TSG swag, and a lot more. Find out what you've been missing out on by going to patreon.com slash tsgmultimedia today and help support the content you love for as little as seven cents a day. It helps us keep the lights on around here, and we do everything we can to show our thanks. So that's it for now, and I'll see you next time.